today wraps up our final Sunday in our sermon series, Whisper. And over the last several weeks, what we've looked at is God's invitations. We've talked about the fact that God is continually coming to us. God's continually coming to us and, and speaking to us by the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes we're, we get it, we hear it. So many times we probably are distracted and we miss it. And yet what we've seen, though, is that God's invitations are consistent and persistent. We start off our sermon series looking at Elijah, who had, um, in, in 1 Kings, had seen some amazing things happen. God doing just some incredible miracles, to displays of power, um, just feats of, of mighty strength, of uh, declaring who God is. And then as Elijah is physically exhausted, he moves into a wilderness place, a lonely place, into a cave. And in that lonely place, God comes to him, not in all of the, the, the noise and, and lightning and, and high, heavy wind and thunder, but in the sound of sheer silence, the scripture says, in the sound of a whisper, God comes and he calls him out once again. And he asks him, what have I spoken to you? Who are you? And begins to restore purpose. And so what we've looked at over the last several weeks is using um, a, a book, a, a great book that um, can challenge our faith from Reverend Adele Calhoun called Invitations of God. And, and I've pulled some of those out. There, there's so many that she covers in her book. And so I've pulled a few of those out and used those as a framework for this sermon series. But over the last several weeks, we've looked at how God invites us to follow, invites us to participate in our own healing, invites us to rest, to, to practice the presence of other people, to admit that I might be wrong. And last Sunday, we looked at God's invitation to forgive. And I have to believe that there has probably been some challenging moments for you in God's invitations over the last few weeks, because I know the same thing has happened to me in my life. Moments of where I'm in a situation, and all of a sudden, I realize with what's going on, either externally or internally, I'm like, oh God, this is one of your invitation moments. We've talked about this. This is a moment to admit I might be wrong. This is a moment to slow down in my exhaustion and my weariness and rest with you. This is a moment to be sure that I'm following you and not following my own way. And so this week, as we get into um, this final invitation that we're going to look at, this invitation today is an invitation to wait. An invitation to wait. Do we have anybody in the room that's really awesome at waiting? No hands? Really? Oh, okay. So good. So it's not just me that can't handle it. Um, as some of you know, this last week, my, my parents were here visiting, and, and so that took our family of five and made it seven, and we had decided to go out and eat at a restaurant, and um, we go, and we know, party of seven, especially with certain restrictions of tables and seating and all of that, it could take a little longer to seat, so we, we go to a, a place to eat, and I won't name where it is because I'm not going to, you know, disparage their good name, but um, we show up. And there's not really anybody waiting. And we ask, you know, how long for a table for seven? And they say, 35 minutes. And we're like, wow, okay. And, and they, as we're waiting, they continually kind of see like a, a two-top here and a four-top there. And not a big deal. We're waiting. But then at one point, a person in my family group notices that there's a table that would seat all of us right at the front. People have left, and it's just dirty. It just needs to be bussed and, and cleaned. And so we watch and nothing happens, and nothing's happening. And then we overhear some of the staff go, oh, someone needs to bust that table. Hey, wait, we should seat some people there. We need somebody to bust that table. And they keep walking, keep walking. Five minutes, 10 minutes, almost 15 minutes, and nothing's happening with the table. All the while, we're just standing there hungry, watching people at a restaurant eat in a table that just needed to be bust. Can I tell you, um, my impatience was rising, other people, especially, you know, hang, does anybody know what hangry means? 
Okay. That, you know, you're so hungry that you get angry, hangry. Yeah. Okay. So that's starting to set in and it was a kind of a late lunch, early dinner. So we were definitely in a place of being hungry. So eventually we had to be like, I'm sorry, can somebody clear the table off so we can sit down? So then one of, somebody goes over, I got to shorten my story here. Somebody goes over and like half buses the table. Like they bring the dirty bucket of stuff, like dirty dishes over and kind of put everything in it, but just leave it all there and walk away and start doing other stuff. So then we're waiting longer. Oh my gosh. And it came to a point where I was like, is it possible just to see like a manager or somebody just to be like, the table is our table. So eventually we were able to sit down and we were able to eat. And the, the, the service from that point forward was really great. But it was honestly at a point where I was like, if you'll just give me a rag, I'll go over and I'll wipe the table down myself. I do it at home all the time. I don't mind. I really don't mind because we're hungry. So anyway, I am not good. I am not good at waiting. I Probably none of us are. And we're going to look at some reasons why we're not great at waiting. But we're going to look at God's invitation to wait and realize there's different ways that God invites us to wait. Some of them are temporal things, like momentary, like, like that moment of a dirty table is probably a moment that could be character building for me and help me in my communication skills and my patience, right? But then there are things that maybe move from the temporal type of waiting into an eternal type of waiting, where it's not so much just a situation that we're in that's like a slowdown that's causing an interruption to our schedule, but maybe those things that feel like the waiting where God has kind of said, you know what, you gotta pause, you gotta wait here. In our um, Wednesday night group that's been meeting and we've been looking at the prayer course and studying prayer, one of the, the tools that they gave us was in praying, sometimes God responds with a green light, we all know what a green light in prayer is. It's like, yes, God's like answers prayer. God does it. Sometimes God answers with the yellow light. That's like a, that's not a no. That's a no. That's not for now. That's, you know, that, that's not going to happen. That's not part of my will. But so often what happens in prayer is actually what? It's the yellow light in the middle, the slowdown, to use caution, like to wait before moving forward. And so today, as we look at this idea of waiting on the Lord in this invitation from the Holy Spirit, we're going to challenge ourselves. And we're gonna, I've got some questions along the way, so if you're a note taker, be sure to, um, to take some notes here, and we're going to move through this. But I want to share this quote from Ronald Rollheiser, and um, it's in his book, Holy Longing, and, and this is what he writes. He says, we are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in a church pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual life. Now, there's a temptation in us to kind of separate out the spiritual life from the everything else, right? Like the, this is the, the church, the me and God, the, the praying, the reading my Bible part of things, and then there's the everything else. And part of what Rollheiser is pointing to here is actually, you know what? All of that is integrated, the busyness, and, and as he names it, a pathological busyness actually caused this, this restlessness that becomes part of what blocks our spiritual life. It's like the, there's this kind of invading presence of busyness that causes us to be unwilling to slow down and to wait on the Lord. And so there's this place for us, especially in waiting, where we realize waiting is actually a giving up of control, Right? When we're in a place where we have to wait, we're acknowledging there's some other thing that's influencing us, that's kind of forcing our hands open and to admit that we are not in control. And in those spaces, and this is why I think we hate to wait so much, 
is, is um, that, that giving up of control forces us to acknowledge the roots of our own motivation, our fears, the things we idolize, that we hold too closely, that, that kind of nudge out God's presence. And so in the place of waiting, part of what we have to realize is that so often we treat God more like a genie, <laughs> rub the lamp, ask for our wish, right? And, and instead of actually recognizing that happiness is not a matter of God meeting our expectations, joy in our life is not contingent upon how quickly God moves, answers, and works and gives me what I want. What happens is that while we wait, we can sense this place of like a, a vulnerability, almost like an undoing and a vulnerability of trust that no matter how disciplined, organized, or even prayerful, persistently prayerful we get, we can never outgrow God's invitation to wait. So when we look at it, we realize like the learning curve for waiting, it's lifelong. It's lifelong. It's something that we're going to continually have to circle around. And now we realize that this, with, with practice, practicing this invitation of waiting, we can actually get better at it. Um, and we can move through maybe the momentary pain and endure some of that, that mental, emotional stress that comes with waiting and realize that it is strengthening us. I mean, think about some of the areas in our life where we have to wait. I gave you like, you know, waiting on a table, waiting to eat. Okay, yeah, that's, that's momentary. We quickly move past it. But think about maybe it's buying a house or selling a house and we're having to wait and it seems uncertain and the market kind of seems to be set against us no matter which side of the transaction we're on. Maybe we're awaiting some, some news of medical testing. For us, for a loved one, like just waiting, like, are they calling back? Do they have the results back? Maybe we're waiting for a loved one to arrive back home after a long trip, um, or, or maybe um, even an estrangement of like, you know, a family member that we long to be back in relationship with, and we feel like we just keep waiting and waiting. Maybe we're waiting for a job offer, a feeling like, okay, this could be the potential for me for my future, but I just have to wait. Think about it in childhood, how many of you, like the month of December, the lead up to Christmas was like the hardest of like, oh, Christmas. And now we have these great tools like Alexa and other things where we can be like, how many days until Christmas? And then it counts us down, right? My kids, it's the same way. Christmas, birthday, all of it. It's like a countdown. They will not let us forget how many days in the waiting. And so what happens for us is we all are regularly experiencing moments where we have to wait. And again, some of them are quick and momentary, and then they, they kind of pass by, and boy, that was a frustration. And other ones feel like they claw and tear at our identity of who we are, of who we thought we were, of who we thought we were, who, what we thought we had in gifting and ability. And the longer we wait, the longer it makes us feel like, maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Maybe I don't have what I think I have. Maybe I'm not as good as I, I want other people to appear, or for me to appear to other people. And so in that, what happens is waiting un earths in our hearts what is what what is buried underneath it exposes what happens even when our expectations go unmet waiting it 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 does this transforming thing in us it exposes our doubts our expectations and it causes us to confront especially in that that way of us to God to confront the areas where we have expectations of what God would do should do and how quickly God would do it and forces us into a place of exposing the areas where we hold on to control, where we distrust and, and realize that in our heart, we have those places of distrusting others, ourselves, and maybe even God. 
So I want you to think about this. Ask yourself this question. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. Like we have to stop and ask ourselves, what feelings arise in us when I have to wait? Ask yourself, what feelings arise when I have to wait? And then ask yourself, what do these feelings reveal about the way that we think life should work? What do those feelings inside of you reveal about the way that you think life should work? You can hopefully do this in a a not too um, unkind to yourself sort of way, not evaluating too harshly, but just acknowledging the feelings that there, because what we realize is waiting, it's a central, unchanging part of life. It's just a universal fact that we will have these moments where we wait. So think about it for yourself. Like, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for, for friendship? Maybe restoration of friendship? Are you waiting um, for a relationship, a spouse? Are you waiting on a career, a job, calling, life direction? Maybe you're waiting for healing, whether that's physical or emotional, spiritual, being set free, being restored. Maybe you're waiting for your children, something in relationship to your kids that you're just believing God for and you're waiting for. Maybe you're waiting for your finances to turn around. You're waiting, maybe you're waiting for a break a vacation, a few days off. Maybe you're waiting to just get back home. Or maybe you're on the other side of it and you're waiting to get away from home and get out. What are you waiting for? And in this, what we have to realize is that we are in need of the lessons that come out of waiting. And this morning, we're gonna look at a few statements about what waiting produces in us, what it creates in us as we um, trust God in the waiting places. I think our culture has been impacted by um, what I call the Amazon Prime effect. And if, if nobody else has thought of this, then I just trademarked that statement. I don't know. Amazon probably won't let me do it. But the, do you know what the Amazon Prime effect is, right? Okay. So when Amazon Prime first started for, like, shipping delivery and all of that, you know, you could have your membership, and things would come to you faster, and it was a more just a guaranteed availability of certain products, right? And then over time, to make it more appealing, and as Amazon has just increased and increased and increased, they're like, oh, we can get it to you in four days, and then it's two days, and then it's one day, and then now we have the ability, some things will show up the same day. I accidentally ordered something, not, I mean, I ordered it on purpose, but I didn't realize that it was uh, delivering the same day. And I was so confused when Amazon showed up at the front door and it had only been a few hours since the thing I ordered and I clicked confirm and then it was showing up and I was like, what, why, what are they delivering? Oh, wow, whoa. I, or, like, this is what I call the Amazon Prime effect because say you go to another online store and you go to order something, you're nodding your heads, right? You know what's coming next. You go to order something and you're like, what? What do you mean it's gonna take a week? What do you mean it's gonna take 14 days? What do you mean that I have to pay $5 in shipping? What in the world is this, right? This, what this has done in our hearts, and it's not just, I, I'm putting a lot of blame on Amazon, but they're big and they can handle like, you know, me using them as a punching bag. But what it's done is, is overall culturally, we've come to a place where we expect things just to move fast. If I think of it, if I want it, I should be able to figure out how to get it quickly. You know, um, there's, there's ways that like this hurried way of living actually changes the way that we understand relationships, the way that we understand ourselves. It changes even like our, our internal rhythms. We eat faster than we probably should. 
We expect to be able to intake content faster than we should. We expect ourselves to become experts at things really quickly because, well, I listened to a podcast, I watched it on YouTube, like I should be able to do X, Y, and Z and do it quickly. And then that carryover spills out into our relationships with other people where we feel like we should be able to fast track a relationship to figure out, are you the one, are you not? Can we fix this? Can we do that? It seems to spill over into our way of relating to God where, again, we pray hurried prayers thinking that God... You need to answer and answer quickly. But what happens in this is it starts to affect our bodies and our souls. And we seem to move to this place where we get this addiction to speed that things have to happen fast. And when it doesn't happen that way, then we start to assume something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something's wrong with me. And we start to worry. We start to have anxiety. We can't sleep. We get angry. We cry. We, pre- we plead with God. Um, we, we binge or obsess or we um, even exercise or do whatever, like whatever we can do to distract ourselves from the fact that we're having to wait, that waiting is frustrating. And sometimes it feels like doing something is better than nothing right? That like doing something feels so much better than doing nothing. But the problem is in waiting, waiting is not doing nothing. Waiting is actually an active, with God, it can be an active way of waiting. And it is very literally doing something because you're allowing God to tend to the character of your soul. We see waiting is actually um, that, that idea of patience. It's, it's a character of who God is. It's, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. We see in Galatians 5, through 23, when the scripture writer names out the fruit of the Spirit, we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there are some on that list that we seek after and we're like, oh yeah, give me that one. Love, yes, please. Joy, mm-hmm. Peace, yeah, I need it now. Patience, and then we kind of keep going, right? Because the, the reality is, is that we don't really want to work to see patience happening in our life. But if we're going to remove the idea of patience and waiting from the character and the nature of who God is and who God desires to um, be in us, we're actually eliminating part of the work of God in our lives. And this isn't just a, a modern contemporary problem, you know, that Amazon prime effect. It's a part of human nature From the beginning of time, we see it throughout the scriptures. In the creation story, Adam and Eve in the garden, what do they do? They get impatient with God and what God's doing, and they decide to take things into their own hands. We see throughout the scriptures where the scripture writers remind us of the fact that waiting is so vital, and it's part of who we are, and yet we get frustrated in it. The psalmist in Psalm 69 verse 3 says this, I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Again, in Micah 7, verse 7, the scripture says, As for me, I look to the Lord for my help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Paul in Romans reminds that his readers in Rome the fact that um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, it says, For all creation is waiting eagerly. For that future day when God will reveal who his children really are, that there is this eager waiting that's within us. And so us acknowledging the stress and the strain and waiting is not, it's not a bad thing. And it's not something to eliminate, but it's something for us to walk through confidently and realize that God can work in us in the waiting. Let's do this. In, in the, the, this last portion of the sermon, what I want to do is I'm going to give you some, some statements and explain them and then move us into a place of applying this this morning. But um, what I want us to see is that, number one, waiting reveals God's speed 
in our lives. Waiting reveals God's speed in our lives. And I put that in quotes because as we've seen, when we look across the scriptures, we see that God's pace, God's pace is unhurried. God's not in a hurry. God doesn't have anywhere to be. God holds all of creation, right? God knows what's unfolding. God knows everything that has been and ever will be. And so there's this pace at which God moves that to us seems slow, but in reality, it's a deep and patient way in which God is working to restore and renew creation. The effects of sin and brokenness in our world, I mean, it's, it's tangible. Like we see it, we feel it, we see the challenge of it. But rather than writing everything, like with one instantaneous moment of like snapping um, God's fingers that all of a sudden everything is made right, God actually says, I'm going to work in a willful, unhurried way a slowed down way and a pace that allows the work to go deep, the work to show that I, I'm in control, I'm not concerned. This is the story of the Old Testament as God worked. God worked in multi-generational generational ways. This restoration plan that was happening through relationship where God was working with Abraham and, and establishing covenant and promises. God was working with Moses to restore. God was working with Joshua and on and on and on. But what we see is that God worked slowly. It was happening over generations. And then as we come into the New Testament, we see that restoring work continuing to happen through the one that had been prophesied, Christ Jesus, who now comes and becomes one who is among us. And I have to believe as Jesus walked this earth, I don't think he rushed. I don't think he was in a hurry. I don't think Jesus was any like hurried concern of do this, do that. I actually have a feeling that Jesus' pace was probably pretty slow, pretty comfortable, we see Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, and this is from the message version, but he sends out this invitation and he says, um, come to me, all of you who are wearied and burdened, and I'll give you rest. And then in, in the message, it says, come and experience the rhythms of God's grace, the unforced rhythms of God's grace. It's unforced. We don't, have to, we don't have to force it to happen, but that it's happening and it's unfolding. And then even for us, we see that God, as God continues to work, that it's happening in our lives season after season, year after year. And sometimes we can feel like, I'm not making any progress. I'm not moving forward. These problems that are decades old in my life continue to still be with me now. What are you doing here, God? And God's saying, will you trust me? Will you slow down? Will you go at God's speed rather than your speed? Throughout the, the Gospels, we see these, these different images that Jesus uses to to point to this is the kingdom of God, or this is, this is the way the kingdom of God works. And he uses things that are of this earth, but things that are slow, like seeds going into soil that take time to grow. Seeds that as they grow, take time to produce a harvest. We, we see um, him talking of roots that go down, and as they're going down, nothing seems to be seen on the surface, but it's happening underneath. Yeast that goes into to dough and it takes its time to work and do the work that it desires to do. Water, water that as it flows, it's flowing and it's creating a path and it's transforming. Like there are these images that are used and what it is, is it's these images of slowing down and realizing that God's pace is unhurried. We don't have to worry about, is God working? God is working. So for us, it's identifying our ability to slow down in that. Here are some quick things that cause us to um, 
to struggle with moving at God's speed. Sometimes it's an inability to lay down our own agenda and just go with what is happening, trusting God in that. Sometimes it is our addiction to going fast, to hurrying. Sometimes it's cramming too many things into the, the time that's available. Sometimes for us, it's unrealistic timelines, deadlines, maybe artificial ones that we just kind of pull out of the air and then we start to live under this anxiousness. Maybe it's an inability to take a long view. We look at our life so much in the immediate and we can't see the long view of what God is doing. Sometimes it's an inability to see the present moment as anything more than just a a kind of a crack in time between the past and the future. And then we worry about what has happened in the past and we're we're anxious about what the future is going to be and we allow the present moment to just be kind of narrowed down to something so small. Where actually, if we look at it, the promise of God is the fact that God is not, he's he's not just a past God or a future God, but a God of the present moment now. So as we hear this invitation, we realize that we are invited to go God's speed. Number two, waiting means accepting that I am dependent on God. Waiting means accepting that I am dependent on God. In acknowledging our dependency on God, what happens is that we have to shift in our thinking. And God does this work through the Holy Spirit. Shift in our thinking from an if type of thinking to a when type of thinking. Not, uh, not this place of like, well, uh, the anxious worried like if, if God you're faithful, if God you're going to move, if God you're going to answer prayer, but actually shifting to a place of saying, when you do, I'm here. God, I know that you are, it's going to happen when you want it to. God, that it will happen when you are ready in your timing. And what it does is it, it breaks up this feeling that we are in control, that we have to hold it all together. And to move into a place of accepting an attitude of waiting allows us to, to release that worry, to release that fear, that, that need to control. And it's not, it's not a like superficial, like what will be, will be kind of case or Like it's not, it's not a like, well, whatever, throw up our hands in resignation. It's saying, no, God, I am willfully choosing to surrender, not in a, you know, in a passive way, but in an active waiting way, I'm going to surrender to what you are doing and trust God that it's happening deep within me, that it's happening deep within our world, that God, your ways are so much further and a big, bigger that I don't have to say, you know, if, 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 but I can just move to like, when you move, when you work, I'm with you. I want to move at your pace. Waiting on God demands an alertness to the present moment. As we've already said, it's, a, it's an active stance of, of a watching, a watchfulness of saying, you know, when, not if. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, suggests that active waiters know that they are wait, what they're waiting for is growing from the ground on which they are standing. It's the idea of a seed that has been planted and that something has begun. Active waiting. It's trusting that something is happening. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to force anything, but God is already at work. Think about it this way. Like God is, is taking, you know, what, what the devil would try to use to destroy us and is actually turning it for our good, turning it into a place of growth for God's glory. Waiting for God is rooted in the expectancy that God is actually going to come through on God's promises the foundation of God's word. Even when we feel like we can't see it, maybe we feel like we can't even hold it in our hands, we can trust and say, God, I know that you are going to come through. Look at what the psalmist declares in Psalm 62, verse number five. 
Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. What's the heart behind a psalm like this? A heart that's unworried, a heart that's, that's patient, a heart that is willing to trust that God is coming, that is waiting on God. Let all that I am quietly wait before God. Not crying and screaming. Oh, how could it be? Just quietly waiting for God. So for us to grow in this area, we have to grow in awareness. We need to, to notice when we get impatient with the process, with the way that, it's, that, that things are unfolding. And we need to work to stay in the moment with God. We've got to work to become aware of our expectations for each day. You know, what happens to us when our expectations are not met? When it feels like what we set as the bar for the day, when it's not met, how do we respond to it? We need to notice moments when we're not in control, when we feel like we want to be in control, but we're actually not in control. And then again, releasing the if type of thinking and embrace that, that when, when you move, God. I give you praise, I give you honor and glory for when you move. All right, number three. How I wait determines if I mature in freedom or if I remain immature. How I wait determines if I mature or if I remain immature. Look at what the psalmist writes in Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Waiting requires an openness to something good happening beyond our expectations, being open to that. Expectations are what get us into trouble while we wait. Think about the difference between a baby, a newborn baby, an infant, versus a few years later, middle school or high school, or moving into 20s, 30s, and even older. There is a natural progression in us that has the ability to know that, okay, just because I feel hungry right now, I don't have to cry and scream. There is an ability for me to be able to get food. Or I can look at the clock and know, okay, lunchtime is in one hour, and I can pace myself. Babies, they're, they're cold. They're, they're um, afraid. They cry. They cry. They scream because they don't, they don't know fully what's going on. But as we grow and we mature, as our brains develop, we start to move to a place of understanding. I'm cold. I can, I can take care of myself. I can put a jacket on. If I need something, I can communicate to another person and receive that. And yet what we can realize as we've been talking about all of this is that we can still have expectations that remain immature when it comes to the idea of patience and waiting. And so while we may in our biological age continue to get older, there may be areas in us in our emotions, maybe in our, in our, in our mind, in our way of thinking and, and patterns of thinking that we hold on to, maybe even things we believe about God that cause us to actually not be in a place of growing into maturity, especially in this area of patience and, and um, waiting. And so what happens is, you know, we can expect God to do certain things, but we expect it our way. We can have expectations about the timing of things, but it's our timing. Our expectations 
seemed somehow to, to bind our happiness to whether or not our expectations are fulfilled. And, and so it's then this mindset of like, I want to get this job, or I want my house to sell now or by this date, or I want this thing to happen and be fulfilled now. And what we realize is it's an immature way of thinking, especially when it starts to impact the way that we relate to God. When, unspe- when unmet expectations turn into resentment and disappointments, it starts to interrupt our ability to fully relate to God, to trust God. So as we look at the process of growth in the life of a believer, that, that life of discipleship, we realize that waiting, become one of the pri- waiting becomes one of the primary ways that God works to mature us. Instead of a give it, give it to me now, God goes, slow down, trust me. Trust that I'm working. Trust that I'm near. Trust that maybe what you feel like you want is not met right now, but I'm still faithful. I'm still good. Again, author Henry Nowen, um, in the same book as before, he writes this, impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else. And therefore, I want to go to elsewhere, to somewhere else. It's this idea of like, it's the FOMO. I'm going to miss out, right? Fear of missing out. If, it, if it's not happening here, it's happening somewhere else. And I anxiously, I need to get there. I need to be that. I need to be in that place. And yet what God is doing is asking us to slow down, to trust, to receive this invitation, to wait. So what we start to realize is that the place of waiting, rather than just being empty space, like nothing is happening here, it's just empty space, it actually becomes transformational space where God is, is growing us, is maturing us. The author of the book that, that we've been referencing to, um, Adele Calhoun, she writes this, waiting is God's crucible for transformation. The crucible, the place where it happens. Waiting is how God gets at the idols of our heart. Waiting addresses the things we need besides God to be content. Money, comfort, expedience, success, control. Adam, Eve, Noah, Abraham are all just the beginning of a line of people who learned who God is while they wait. Hagar learned who God was while waiting for her teenage son to die. Joseph learned who God was in the ups and downs of Pharaoh's court. Jacob expecting nothing good from God and learned otherwise. So I want you to think about it for yourself. Like what good has come to you while you waited for something to happen? What good has come to you while you were in those places of waiting? What did you learn? How did you mature? What has God shown you? Centuries of waiting are what shaped and formed God's people and what continues to wait, what continues to form us. In the book of Isaiah, there are all of these moments where the, the prophet Isaiah is, is calling out to God's people. And there are these, uh, these prophetic moments where in the, the calling out, the crying out, um, Isaiah is pointing to the coming of Christ, the one who will come as um, that suffering servant. We heard it read already in our service this morning. I want to read it again before we end our, our sermon this morning. But Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31, Isaiah writes this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. Maybe that's some of us today. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth 
shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They who wait for the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They who wait for the Lord shall run and not be weary. They who wait for the Lord shall walk and not faint. That is God's promise today. So in whatever space, whatever place that you're in where you feel like things have kind of gotten stuck, feel like it's on pause, feel like you're looking at God and going, what are you doing here? What is happening? Why am I having to wait? Realize that there's the promise of God that God will strengthen. God will renew. God will lift up. It makes me think of in 2 Corinthians where it talks about even though outwardly it feels like we're wasting away, that internally by God's spirit, we're being renewed day by day by day. And so then we have a responsibility of how are we going to practice God's invitation of waiting? How will we receive it from the Lord? If you are comfortable with bowing your head, closing your eyes, I want to invite you to just move into a place of listening to Holy Spirit and and responding to God. I have a couple of practices for us that you you can take and start to implement in your own life, even this week, as we listen to what God is speaking to us. Number one is just practicing the presence of God in the present moment. Not like a worried concern for the future, Not an anxious, God, I I have to get my prayer list just right, or I have to say it enough times, or I have to say it in a perfect way. But it's actually a place of practicing the presence of God who is with you always, who is eternally faithful. And in doing so, what it is, is it's allowing us to open up ourselves to that trusting of God. It allows us to move into a place of trusting the hands of God that are moving or working, but they're moving and working in an unhurried way. God's not anxious. God's not worried. God's not, you know, worried. Is it, is it going to happen? Is it going to come together? God sees it all, and God's inviting you to trust him. Maybe for you this week in those moments where you feel that, the, the, the battle in the waiting, the, the, the desire to be patient, and yet you feel that, that worrying start to, to creep up, the anxiety start to creep up over it, you can, you can pray a breath prayer. Breath prayers are just really simple ways of as you breathe out, praying a phrase, and as you breathe back in, you breathe, you say another phrase. And what it does is it allows us to, yes, take some deep breaths, which is really good anyway, regardless, but as you do so, you can start to trust in God. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that you are God. God, allow me to be still and know that you are God. Maybe this week you need to, 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 to truly do that, to inhale, inhale with God and say, be still. And as you exhale, you say, and know that you are God. Be still. And know that you are God. Internally in your mind, every time you breathe in, you say, be still. still. And every time you exhale, and know that you are God. What God desires for us to do is to slow down, to begin to trust that God is working. The space between, you know, our desire and our demands and, and our wants, it's a, it's a risky place of wanting. It's the place where we, we wait with God, we let go of control, and we trust that in the desire and the demands, we can, we can lay those down and trust that God brings deep joy, peace that passes understanding, 
we learn to attach ourselves fully to God rather than ourselves and our own desires and our own responsibility. And we trust God in it. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I thank you that you are faithful. Lord, we've read it time and time again this morning through, through many different verses of Scripture that remind us that your, your rhythms are those unforced rhythms of grace, that you are unhurried. God, that you, you move at a pace that can be trusted, and it probably is going to feel so much slower than the pace in which we want to go. And yet we realize, God, that if we can be still, if we can know that you are God, you transform us. You work in us. You free us from, from the, the pace of this life to live by the pace of your kingdom. Lord, when we pray that your kingdom come and your will would be done, it's truly a, a surrendering prayer. Not praying and saying, you know, your kingdom come and if your will would be done. But we're saying, God, when your kingdom comes, when your will is done, like we trust and we know, God, that it's faithful and that it's coming. And so today, God, I pray for each person that's in this place, that's listening to this sermon this morning, God, that you would challenge them in that invitation to wait with you, to trust with you. As Isaiah says, God, that as we wait on you, that you will renew our strength. Lord, that you will lift us up, that, that we'll be able to run and not be weary, that we'll be able to walk and not faint, that we'll be in that place of knowing, God, that as we wait upon you, you renew and you bring strength. And so I pray that over every person this morning. God, we thank you for every invitation that we studied over the last few weeks. And as we continue to grow in faith with you, I pray, Lord, that you protect us from the, the attack of the enemy who wants to distract who wants to draw us away from being on mission, on path with you. I pray, God, that um, as we continue to grow, that you would help those roots of your, of your faith and your spirit to continue to go deeper into the soil of our lives, and that, God, as it does, it starts to produce fruit that looks like that list of the fruit of the Spirit. God, that we can embrace every single one and know, Lord, that you are good. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Christ Jesus. Amen.